Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined from frigid Salt Lake City by my illustrious co-host, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you doing? Wonderful, Christian. Yes, doing my best to uh, stay non-frigid. How are you? Yeah, so, <laughs> well, I checked my phone, and it said the low was supposed to be one degree Fahrenheit, so it's a bit chilly out there. Well, that's down here in the valley, but you go up to Park City and it's like minus really low. <laughs> yeah, don't tell me. I actually have a business lunch meeting up there in a couple of hours. So I'm going to be heading up into that very, very cold, uh, frigid Arctic air. I mean, it's so chilly here. But uh, how you been? It's been a it's been a minute since we had a, a podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. I, I've been great and just I, I'm so excited, it, energized. You know, I've been in. Last time we talked, I was in Las Vegas. I'll be heading back again Friday. But good to be back with you here in in my studio, and really excited about our guest today. Well, I'm super excited about our guest too. So why don't you go ahead and give him the introduction he deserves? Well, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to put him on the screen so everyone can look, you know, and see this handsome man while, you know, there, there's few people that you meet and you just just the energy and just how you meet them. You're like, this is a good person. And, uh, you know, this is Frank Kitchen and he, he's called the mindset chef. And I love that. And he's just, you know, and not only is he a good person when you when we see him, it's not because of the four books that he's written. It's not because he's a husband and father of two beautiful children. It's not because he's spoken to over a million people around the world. You know, his story is amazing. His experience is amazing. Just, you know, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. But when you meet him, you know, it's just one of those people that you're like, I, I need to get to know this person just because uh, he's good. Christian, would you concur when you met him? I would absolutely concur, and uh, I, I have to say that when we were at uh, the CSP CPAE Summit in Dallas, Texas, uh, for National Speakers Association last month, a question was asked of the attendees who were all certified professional speakers, top of the top, creme de la creme, uh, what three pieces of advice would you give to aspiring professional speakers? And Frank gave amazing advice. Uh, that I think anybody who is in that profession should should uh, check out. So uh, I'm I'm thrilled to have Frank here with us today, Spencer. Me too. Well, it's not really fair because he's kind of been on the inside of the speaking industry for a long time. I mean, he's one of those guys that was actually a meeting planner and was doing that for a university where he would bring in speakers. And so that gave him a, a lot of insight. But I just love the experience that he had a little bit. Exactly. Right. And and I, that's experience that I wish I'm jealous, Frank, but he, he brings all of this experience. But more importantly, just his experience in the workplace, losing a job, being fired, you know, by an employer, which probably most of us have experienced yet at a time when children are, are young and, you know, you feel like, what am I going to do? How can I, how can I move forward? Frank, uh, figured out what, um, could make a difference in the world and has really been someone who is going in and working with organizations to help them cook up positive work uh, workplace cultures through gamification and through his recipe of, of positivity to really help people advance in their careers, work together at a high level. And here at the team performance, uh, you know, the teamwork, a better way podcast, it's all about how do we get 
uh, team performance to a higher level. So Frank, sorry for all the uh, blubbering and blathering, but we're so glad to have you. <laughs> thanks, for Christian. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, like thanks for the ego boost. I'm like, I'm feeling really good about that today. So I mean, let's let's go ahead and have a great conversation. Yeah. So so start us off, uh, Frank. Talk about what's this? You know, you, you talk about gamification. I it, people hear that all the time. Ta- talk about first of all, why is it important? What is it? Why is it important to 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 today's workplace culture? Well, the big one is great question is. They talk about, there's actually studies that say when we make things more fun and more engaging, we actually retain the information more, we can go and apply it. And many times when people hear the word game, they think that we're just, you know, wasting time. They think that we are not focused. But if you really think about it, our world right now is very tactile. We're very hands-on when it comes to learning. We're very experiential. I mean, if you even look at video games, the industry right now is bigger than television, movies, and music combined. So it's something that we're always doing. And for me, uh, throughout my work experience, whether we call it role playing, whether we call it experiential learning, it's all still games and we can learn so much. And my mom is interesting. She was a preschool director and teacher and she goes, the greatest time of growth for us is from zero to four. She goes, 80% of what we need to survive in life is learned in that time period. The rest of our life is spent perfecting it. And most kids are role playing or modeling their parents They're playing games they're having activities. So why don't we do this as adults? You know, that that's so true. And, you know, for I guess in my generation growing up, you know, just one or two years ago, um, we used this concept called edutainment. And the mm-hmm. idea was, is that we're learning and, and we don't know it. And so people are more likely to consume opportunities to grow and learn. Is that similar to what you're talking about? Yeah, very similar. I mean, there, there's a study uh, years ago, I went to my father grew up in the army, but I was working for a college and we got invited to go to army boot camp in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And we went down there showing us how the whole recruitment process goes and how they, they get, you know, onboarded. And I go, where'd you recruit most of these, you know, kids? Cause they're kids like 18 years old. And they go, well, we go to a lot of colleges. We go to a lot of high schools. And what we do is we sign the kids up for a video game. I'm like, okay, you sign for a video game. And what happens is they have to go put their name and their contact information in, and they think they're getting this free game. But while they're playing the game, there's actually AI in the background that is actually, if you want to say, judging or scoring, you know, the uh, ability levels of these kids who are playing. So it allows them to know, okay, here's who we should go and recruit. I mean, and that's all through games. I'm like, wow, are you kidding me? And we went there and they're doing, quote, war games and doing, you know, demonstrations of how they're going to learn. And they go, yeah, it's like this actually just soaks in. Like you said, it's a point of it's education, but you don't realize it's education. It's, you know, as you said, edutainment. I love the word. I'm like, I've used that word before too. But, you know, it's the point of people think you once again are playing and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I used to run a toy store. I was a manager and a trainer and people came in. It's like, your, your employees are playing with the toys. I'm like, no, they're product testing. You know, how can they sell something if they've never actually used it before? How can they demonstrate it if they've never really touched it? I mean, so that's where this whole game piece comes from is you have to turn the learning process into some form of entertainment. And then later on, you trick them and like, well, hey, go ahead and recite what you learned. Like, I didn't learn anything. And then you push them and they're like, oh, wait, I did learn something. <laughs> that that The experience of the army that you, you shared, Frank, it reminded me of a, a, a movie in the 80s that probably nobody has seen, but it was called The Last Starfighter. And the premise of the movie was they they had this arcade game 
Yep. And uh, there was a, a kid who played the game that ended up winning the game. Like he broke the record. He set the all-time high score. And the game actually was uh, it was a recruitment uh, tool for an alien race who was battling another alien race. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was a great movie. Very you, cheesy, very cheesy eighties movie. But but <laughs> what you were talking about with with kids, it reminded me of something I just saw on LinkedIn the other day. There was a post that somebody made, and there was a dad playing with his kid. And it said, for children, there's no difference between play and learning. It's the same thing, you know. And mm -hmm. so uh, how do you take that kind of concept and then apply it to adults? Well, ultimately, the, the adults, I just had a group recently that I spoke with, and I said, it's one thing to play games because people say games or icebreakers. Okay, that's fine to go and play. But the big one is a debrief. And during that debrief, after you do the exercise, after you do the game, after you do the role play, is to have a debrief to ask, what did you learn? And there's not really one you know, outcome because everybody learns a little bit differently. So when you go and do this, you explain number one, or yes, the question for the debrief is, what did you learn? And then the second part is you'll ask, well, how can that apply to your you know, day-to-day -day work life? Because that's the big piece. We have to be able to tie them together because most people can't see that. And once they do see that, it's funny, they will actually start asking for more and more games because nobody wants to just have nothing against HR people, but nobody wants to just have like the bullets or the employee manual. As I said, we've grown since the beginning of time, man, we're hands-on learners. And we've got to this point where we just started like, okay, here's a book, here's a manual, read it. That's how you go and learn. But as my wife says, she's a former teacher. When you really go back to the way the world worked is you had to go to a mentorship and you had to be an apprentice and you had to prove that you understood what was going on. And that was all hands-on. It wasn't necessarily just by memory or like, okay, I read this book or took this test. They're like, hey, show us that you can do it. And that's the same process that works with games. You know, last, uh, it, it, it's so true. And, you know, I've always had this belief that, Frank, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I have so many processes. I mean, hundreds of them that I, that I use with my clients. A week and a half ago, we did a working with a construction company and they have this, uh, they didn't have enough room in, in their office. So they have a, a warehouse and all the employees were like, well, there's no, there, there's no internet. There's no, there's no PowerPoint. How are they, how are we going to do a training? Like we don't need it. And we, you know, no slides. We, I, I had basically, we had a game set up and it was very tactile. It was not a computer or anything like that. And we split everybody up into, you know, countries and they have to negotiate for resources and money and food. And we do that for basically, you know, half an hour. And the rest of the time, we just talk about what happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing because they're learning all these things. And then they can, what you said is they can take what they experienced and then apply that to work. And therefore, what is, I imagine, a question you have to ask a lot. Is that true? It's, it's very true. I mean, as you're sharing that, you know, you brought up a memory for me where I had a charter school group and I went through and they wanted to do team building activity, get the culture set for the, you know, as a brand new school. And we did this activity, it's called Earthquake. And I had my friend Roger Campbell, he taught it to me, but it's a game of communication and movement. And during the activity, I've done it at different places, different settings. And I've actually had people who quit during the process. And during the debrief, I asked people like, okay, if they can quit during a game, What's going to happen when something major happens? They're like, oh, they're probably going to quit and walk out. So the funny thing is, and it's not really funny, but the interesting thing is for this charter school, after I left there, this is like their um, beginning of the school year orientation, about October, so about halfway through the first semester, uh, the principal, who I knew, calls up. He goes, yeah, Frank, we just lost our charter. 
I'm like, oh no, what are you going to do? She's like, well, we're going to figure out a way to make it through. So I kept in touch with them. And then, so she was actually taking money out of her own personal accounts to help the employees with bills and food and trying to just keep them on. But none of the staff quit. So eventually she went to the staff. She goes, okay, everybody, how come you haven't quit? And one of the people goes, this is our earthquake moment, which is what we taught during the summer. And it goes, we can't quit on this. It goes, we have to figure out the solution and how to come together. So as adults, especially with games, I explain when we go and play a game, all we're focused on is the solution. How do we win? How do we get to the next level? How do we move? So we're figuring out what's the solution. And as leaders, and I know it's what you talk about, is I go, hey, anybody can point out a problem, but it's the leaders who point out the solutions and figure out how to get to that solution. So that's the beauty of games is we're actually teaching that process. All right, I've got a question. Yes. <laughs> How do you overcome? I didn't know if Spencer was going to hit a bumper, a stinger, or yeah, I, I was just like waiting. You know I was waiting. I was waiting. I'm, but... I'm going to. Here's the problem, Christian. I get so I, I, I get so excited listening. I forget to you know be the producer here as well. So it's sorry, all, it's all it's all good, Spencer. It's all good. Uh, I like have I'm a question for you, Frank, and it's it, it's how do you overcome the reticence of people? I mean, of course, you you have your client who is buying your service. They body they buy in to what mm -hmm. you're doing. Then you have the attendees, the participants some of whom might be a little bit reticent or thinking, well, this is juvenile or this is not really my style. So how do you get them to kind of overcome that initial reticence or hesitance to, to actually fully participate and engage and learn? Well, the, the best answer is it starts with the leader. And as speakers, Spencer understands this one. I've coached speakers and work with speakers and they'll be like, okay, the audience wasn't good. And you said about reticent. They, they weren't responsive. They didn't want to be engaged. And they're like, they're a terrible audience. I'm like, no, the audience wasn't terrible. It's you. And that will shock people when I say that. But ultimately, when we're speaking, it's a point of, it's a transference of energy and passion and desire of, do we want to be there? So if we walk in like, hey, everybody, we're going to do some games today. It's going to be really fun. Okay, we're already transferred the energy. It's like, they don't want to be here. They're bored. So why should we be involved? So the first piece is, it shows up on you. Do you look like you're having fun? Are you engaged? I'm not saying we have to be over the top like we're on Red Bull, but you know you have to explain, hey, we're gonna be doing this activity today. We're gonna be learning you know, in a different way. We're gonna be having some fun. It's gonna be as interactive, but it's only gonna be impactful if you're involved too. So we start as the lead, so we have to show our energy. And then number two is too many groups when they're trying to do these trainings, we try to throw people into the deep end. We actually don't warm them up. We actually create these barriers right off the bat because we try to make them do the most difficult project or game you know to start off with so what you have to do is you have to warm them up so in the case of me i just had a group and i go hey everybody we're going to be doing some games some activities today but to make sure that you're awake mentally and physically i got to make sure you are ready for this so what i'm going to do is i'm going to throw a couple games up on the screen and yell out the answer to the game and what they'll do is the people start to yell out the answers and they start to warm them up that way they get to find out is this going to be an easy crowd to deal with or difficult crowd so i have to kind of get the feeling so i give them something a little less you know uh intrusive if you want to call it that way to warm them up and then the next activity brings up another level the next activity another level then when we get to the deeper ones they've warmed up they've got a chance to show who they are they've had some explanations of what's going to be going on they get a chance to physically see it versus Oop, okay let's just throw you into the fire 
I, you know, and I think you do such a great job of every time I see you, your energy is is so inviting. It's never over the top. It's very welcoming. And I think that's something that I'm, I'm sure that when you meet with your audiences, that makes, you know, such a great impact. And you're right. I mean, part of building that rapport is, you know, if, if their energy is here, you, you, you get to be here, not here, right? Just maybe a little bit more. And, and then you can bring it up as you warm them up, just like stretching exercises. I love that. I think you're exactly, exactly right. Sorry, I'm just reaffirming, Christian. I know you got more questions. Yeah, keep going. No. Uh, well, what I, what I wanted to ask is, um, how do you determine which kinds of games or solutions will work with which kinds of audiences? You know, uh, um, do you have like a, a toolbox of all of these things and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the problem that they're wanting to solve. I think these are the particular ones that are going to work well for them. You're cooking this thing up in the kitchen. These are the ingredients that you want to use yeah. to, um, you know, really have an make an impact. Yeah. So it's not it's not really a toolbox. It's a recipe book, <laughs> if that makes sense there. But what we do is, um, anytime I'm going to work with somebody, I don't want to come in with a canned program. You know, one size fits all. So generally what I would love to do is I'm going to sit down with you, Christian, sit down with you, Spencer, and start to ask, okay, what are some of the obstacles? What are some of the opportunities? I never like to say strengths and weaknesses. I go strengths and opportunities. There's an opportunity for growth. So where's the area you see the most opportunity? So someone may say communication. So now I'm going to go to my recipe book and find all my communications activities that we're going to teach. And we'll explain to everybody, hey, we're going to be working on communication ideas today. And I also explain when we start things off is, hey, has anybody here played a game before? And they go, yes. And it's like, hey, is there anything wrong with playing it your way? And they go, no. I'm like, but what happens if you do the same move over and over again? And people go, oh, we get beat. I was like, so I'm here today to give you some new tools for the toolbox, as you said there, Christian. I was like, or just to give you some new moves. That way, you know, you've got something to counter, especially in customer service when I work with those groups, counter what people, you know, are going to bring at you because we deal with people every day. And guess what? People don't always do it the way we want them to. So the big one's always going to be, when you're going to be doing these trainings, any of the groups that I will work with, I need to sit down with one is a lot of times leadership and ask leadership, hey, what are the areas of opportunity you feel people need to grow? And we'll do that. And there's even been points I've come in and worked with the staff to find out, hey, it's like, where would you like to grow? So they're giving feedback. So now that's the buy in is he's not coming in to tell us what to go and do. He's coming in to be a resource to help us get to where we want to go. I mean, it's one thing to tell people something, but it's another one to say, hey, as my wife says, the four words are, how can I help? So I always want to position myself as a resource versus this, you know, speaker, expert coming in to just change everything. It's a point of, like I said, if we were playing a game right now, let's say I'm, I'm out doing like, you know, hiking. Spencer was talking about hiking earlier. Spencer's going to probably be like my son was on Friday when we went hiking. He goes, hey, that trail is icy. Here's a better option. He didn't tell me I was doing anything wrong. He was just giving me a resource. We have to position ourselves that way versus coming like hey you're not good enough to climb that way so let me tell you how to do it better i've already shut people off yeah well i just bring my crampons <laughs> but uh some you know the, some people brought those the other day and like we we were very impressed yeah there you hiking you, you you can get we have several different kinds when you come up here we'll 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 you gotta have them when you're up north man you're not down in that sunny uh, southern arizona country but uh 
Listen, you know, this is so, so right. I mean, what, what you're talking about, you know, I, I know you're called the, the master chef, right? <laughs> I had a mentor once, Frank, that used to say, I'm not coming, I'm not telling you how to make spaghetti. He would always say that. So you're, you're not coming into a company telling them, let me, uh, let me tell you how to, uh, you know, cook to be, you know, create the culture you want, but let me give you a recipe that you can use with the ingredients that you have and you, you, you provide the environment and then you point out what's going on. It sounds like, right. And then you help them to have those ahas and which is a wonderful way for them to learn because they're always more invested in their own ahas and ideas than they are yours. Aren't they? They are. And the big piece is to empower people. When I, when I come out, it's not to say you're doing anything wrong because we're in this world right now where people always tell us what we can't do (laughs) and what we're not good at. And they don't need to hear that anymore. So it's a case of, back to you asking earlier, Christian, about the games is I'll come in and explain, hey, you're smart people. You've got more experience than me. It's like, you know more than this, but I'm just here to add something new. And when they see, oh, everybody wants to hear something new or quote, my thing is always fresh from the kitchen. Oh, it's just something fresh and new. It's not trying to change us. And that's the big pieces. Becky said about the spaghetti. We're not trying to change the spaghetti. We're just like looking to add a little extra flavor to it. That, that's the piece of what we're going to do when it comes to the games. Fresh yes. from the kitchen. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I've, yeah, I've, I've, I love I've, it. I've had about 50 years of jokes on this name, so I, I've got about 50 years of puns I can always add to any segment. Bring them on. Bring them on. Well, I, I have a, a question, Christian, if, if that's okay. But so, so you're coming in with 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 the recipe book but how can you know how can managers you know take and learn from you and do this on their on their own i mean because once you leave can can this continue yes it can uh, there's, there's two ways we can do it number one is when we come in uh at the end of any program i actually provide upwards of 25 pages of pdf of other activities and games that they can use and it actually walks them through the process but also when I come in during the debrief of every activity that we do, I explain how they can replicate it. It's saying, hey, you don't have to do my game. What are some games that you've done in the, in the past when you were a kid? I explain how we can you know, relate it. Uh, it sounds pretty basic, but my wife was a special ed teacher. And we came into the classroom one day and she used to give me her curriculum. It was like, hey, if you're good, everybody, I'll bring my husband on Friday and he'll do a game show. So we do a game show of the curriculum and the kids liked it. And then some teachers started to show up like, oh, well, how do I do that? And I'm going, it's like, well, what works within your, you know, comfort zone? What's your power? Like, well, I like to do um, quizzes. It's like, okay, well, how about we put together teams? So you can kind of show them ways it works within their areas of strength. Don't try to be Frank. Don't try to be Spencer or Christian. What works best for you? But then we go, okay, well, what's the endpoints? So let's start backwards. What are you trying to teach? So we had the kids at my wife's school where like, she's like, I want them to learn and understand finance. So quite literally, I just brought in the board game Payday. And we actually had the kids going through the board game Payday, if you remember that one. And the kids started going like, I don't want to check the mail anymore. There's going to be bills in there. How come my kids are doing this? And do-? I'm like, now you understand what your parents are going through. And they're like, whoa. And I was like, what have you learned here to go? Oh, yeah, I got to watch my finances. That was once again through a game. And at the end, I go, hey, guess what? Any game can be used to train people. But the ultimate piece is what is the outcome you're trying to teach? And as we shared earlier, what's the debrief? I mean, so we can do a game as simple as just getting a coin and doing heads or tails. 
And what's that game? It's a game about choices. So we're going to talk to our employees about going, hey, are you making smart choices here? Uh, are you committed to making those choices? But ultimately, you're going to have to make a choice if you're in a leadership position because you can't just sit on the sideline and say, I'm not going to make a choice. That's a you know debrief. So we start to explain back to what you're asking, Spencer and Christian, was what do you want to teach people and what type of hands-on or like my buddy calls it, attitude adjustment exercise? Because if we say we're going to be doing an exercise, oh, I don't want to go do it. If we want to do a game, we've already changed people's attitude. Oh, it's a game. I'll play a game. So we're changing their attitude. So we've adjusted their attitude based off of saying, hey, we're going to make it a game. So now they go through the exercise. But at the end, it's like, once again, what did you learn from this? How are you going to apply that? This is what we wanted to share with you. So whether you want to call it an exercise, a demonstration, a game, uh, you know, what, what are you going to call it? It's like uh, hands-on learning, uh, edutainment. The terms are all, you know, essentially the same. We're going to be very tactile with our learning. And then we're going to have a deep discussion on what we can do in the future to replicate it. And not just one particular way, the way that works best for you. So once again, we can have that energy and that passion because we can all see when people don't want to do it <laughs> as far as the trainer. So tailor towards your superpower, tailor towards your abilities. I have to ask you about the debrief a little bit more. I want to dive into that because I think it's so important. Uh, you mentioned that when you ask people what they learned, uh, that the answers are not uniform. They may have learned different things. And so uh, I'm curious to know a little bit more about this, how you conduct the debrief, and have there been any answers that come back that have really surprised you? Ooh, so two-part question there. So number one with the debrief, generally what I'll do is I early on I explain. So it's going to be about laying the ground rules down. And the ground rules are, once again, I don't know everything. I don't know what they're thinking, what their experiences are. And the best way for us to grow is for all of us to share together. And at any point, quote, if we are a team, the more we can share together because we are a group of specialists. And we all specialize in different areas. So where you may have a strength, I may have an opportunity. So if you can share that with me, that's going to give me more experience so I can get better. So that's the first piece is to explain, hey, we need to work together. The best way for this to work, quote, as a team is to come together as a group of specialists. And I can break down how sports teams work for different groups and go, hey, you've got a quarterback, you've got a left tackle, you've got a receiver. Those are all specialists. You're not going to ask the you know, receiver to go throw the football. You're not going to ask the tackle to go run the football. So guess what? Everybody here has their own superpower. Make sure you're sharing that with us. So that's the first part of the debrief. The second part is when we do ask the question and say, what did you learn? Uh, many people know about the Disney yes and philosophy going, hey, there's no bad idea. So it's yes, and then you add on to it. So now we're encouraging people that, hey, your idea is good. There's no bad ideas out there. Please share it. And if they share something that's kind of throws you off, then what I'll do is I'll ask, okay, give me an example of this where it's happened to you in the past. That way people have a visual reference because people are storytellers. We learn more from stories than, than bullets. So that's that piece. That's part one. And then part two to your question said, is there anything that really threw me off? Um, I can't think of anything right now on the spot that threw me off, but I will say this. You recognize when there are ones that throw me off the mark that there are different perspectives in the sense of the experience levels. Somebody might be brand new versus someone who's been there for 20 years. The 20-year person has seen that sign on the wall talking about safety over, over again, so it's almost become just, you know, invisible. 
where the new person comes in and goes, hey, you know what? There's that safety thing on the wall, but it says that um, it was from 2019. It's 2023. Oh, man, that's a different perspective right there. Maybe we need to update our safety you know, manual because the new person saw this. Or there's going to be the perspective of a group who comes in and is like, okay, well, yeah, that was great about making – now I've got the idea. You've got me talking now. I went to a group, we were talking about how to reward employees. And they go, like, oh, here's all the different gifts we can do. We can go talk to our sponsors and our vendors and go. And this was a government group. And the government group came in sharing, goes, yes, Frank, that's great about talking to the vendors to help us with gifts and making thank yous for all the employees. But we are government employees, and many of those would be considered a bribe. So once I heard that feedback, I go, okay what can we do then that wouldn't be considered a bribe as a thank you and then the person gave more feedback so that's the big piece as when we have the debriefs is it's not just about the group learning even the trainer can learn from it too which that adds another tool to my tool belt so the next time i go out or get on an interview here i can share that information because as you said there's no one size fit all carbon copy for everybody everybody's a little bit different and when i came in i was sharing my information but with that debrief and feedback from everyone, I was able to adjust and tweak because, oh, yeah, I never thought about or considered about anything over a certain dollar amount for a government official could be considered a bribe. So we have to figure out new ways to thank their employees. The, uh, some of the uh, international organizations could hear that, right, Christian? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Depending on where you are. Right. Not going to go into that any further. No, no. <laughs> So, you know, Frank, we've been lobbing a bunch of questions at you. I mean, if you had just your, you know, master chef script, I mean, what, what would you tell a leader of an organization to, to, to really cook up that positivity in, in their culture so that people can start to have those, uh, you talked about learning skills so that they can accelerate their careers. Um, what's the, what's the process? Okay. So let me give you quote the the recipe and then let me give you the ingredients does that sound good to you that's perfect all right so so ultimately when i go in and work with groups i say we want to create a rich workplace culture a rich team culture if you think about the word rich and you can bring both of you back up here i'm going to ask you a question right now flip the interview is when i say the word rich in a culinary or food term how would you describe rich uh unctuous uh very very flavorful um Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, every, every bite's an experience. You want to savor every, every bite of it. That's how I would think about it. Perfect. Spencer. When I hear rich, uh, you know, there, there, there's some things in there that may not be, um, uh, that taste good, but it may also not be good for me, you know, like lots of butter. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and, and creams. yeah, so unhealthy, but it's like, we say like, you know, decadent, wanted, tasty, desired. Yeah. So when I ask that to leadership and they go, okay, well, that's what you want, right? What are we doing to get there? So what we'll first thing is we'll say, okay, well, we need to have the ingredients. So the ingredients are number one is, do we have effective leadership here? You know, what are we doing to lead people to either educate, um, elevate or empower them to go out, energize them to go out and live that dream either for themselves or for the group. So what's the ultimate dream here? And many times our organizations were thinking just about the organizational goal, but why is your team there? Maybe it's to keep their lights on, put their kids through school, pay for their bills just to have friends. I mean, you got to figure out what's the dream there. So you have to have leadership. Second part is we need to have clear communication. Many times we're very poor about communicating what our goals are. You know, what we want are just reports, how we communicate. We try to do everything through 
text messages and emails, but it's hard to read the emotion there. When we play games, guess what? We can read the emotion. I can tell if you're happy, excited, or sad. So clear communication. Number three is teamwork. No one's ever going to be able to do this all by themselves, so we have to explain the value of the team. To make a kitchen analogy, guess what? One of the most important people in the kitchen is a dishwasher. Now, a lot of people won't see that person as being very important, but they're a very important part to the team because if they don't clean the dishes, there's nothing to cook with. So we got to think about the team. Everybody's got their own specialty. From there, we have to have an inclusive environment, which means everybody gets a chance to participate. Everybody's opinion or information or feedback is valuable, not just certain levels, not just the managers, not just the leadership, because many times the frontline workers have more experience with how to make places better. And then finally, from that, it's going to be a fresh mindset, which is, means we're focused on the solution versus the problem. Once again, anybody can point out the problem, but what's the solution? That's what we really want. So we really start thinking about games. If we come into a game and all of us are playing right now, we go about the whole leadership piece is one is leadership. You're going to say, oh, do you want to be a part of the game? I see that you're doing this. You're excited about it. So you invite me over. Yes. Okay. I'm in there. But now as I start to do this, you're going to start to recognize I need some help. So you're going to figure out, okay, here's how I help you. Here's how I'm going to train you. Because many times in our world, we're quick to criticize people, but we're slow to recognize them. So when we have a game, we have kids and we're doing something, you're like, hey, here's what I can do to teach you to make things better. When I do it right, you're going to give me some type of gratification, high five, or say, hey, you did really good. And that just keeps me going. So that's that empowerment piece. So those are the five ingredients that you need to create this. Leadership, okay, number one, clear communication, teamwork, inclusion, and a fresh or a growth mindset. Those are the ingredients. But now we need the recipe. And here's where the recipe starts. And you can explain the ingredients to everybody when you go through this. So number one is, I like to call it the five R's. The first R is we got to recruit people. And we recruit people or passionate people or knowledgeable people who want to be a part of the dream or the goal. So as the leader, okay, how are we recruiting people? Based off of our actions, our excitement. That draws people over. If you're smiling like you're doing good, people want to come over. So we're going to recruit the right people. Number two is we're going to recognize what are their special abilities? What are their special talents? So we're making time to understand people. We're not just trying to put the square you know, peg into the you know, round hole. What are you great at? Let's put you in positions to succeed. From that piece, we have to retain people. And the funny thing was, if I wrote retain on the screen right now and I started to move the letters around, retain actually changes around to train E. So we have to train everyone on everything, every opportunity, and just give them every example to succeed. So what are we doing to train people? The more we train people, the more we're going to retain those people because we see them as valuable. If you really want to show people how much value they have, take some time to mentor, coach, or train them up to move up within the organization. From there, we got to reward people. How are we rewarding people? As I said, I'm not saying it's got to be a participation banner or ribbon, but we're so quick to criticize people. If they do something wrong, we're right there on top of them. But if you think about a child, especially if they're doing something, they fall down and get back up, we're right there to say, hey, good job, keep going. That actually empowers people. So what are we doing to reward people? And many people are either internally um, motivated, so intrinsic, high five, great job, or they're extrinsically motivated. <laughs> That's the people who just want stuff. They want the promotion, the trip, the car. And when we do these four things, we get to number five, and the fifth R is resource. When we start to see people truly as a resource, as something that's of value, they're going to make an impact not only on themselves, but their organization, their community, their workplace, because we've gone through those five R's. So that was the recipe, and then you heard the ingredients, and that's what comes out when we really start to do games. All those areas are demonstrated, and people can see that you're going to watch great things get transformed in your organization and you're going to end up creating this rich workplace. Yeah, there may be some things that people consider a little unhealthy, but people just keep coming back for it over and over again because we want what we want, not what we need.
but you need some cream sometimes. It, otherwise, <laughs> life gets a little boring. Listen, there's three things that I want to focus on that you said. So so much great in, in, in what you said. Earlier, you talked about the fresh eyes seeing something about safety on the wall. Then you talked about, related to that, this principle of Kaizen, which is the frontline workers sometimes can see things that you know senior executives don't see and therefore have valuable input into processes. And then lastly, the last thing you said is that they become valuable resources and, and view your people as that way. It's interesting, I, I, I've had in last week and this week conversations with a division of a $2 billion company. And um, part of the challenge is, you know, a, a, a senior manager with 20 years of experience having problems with communication with two new, very qualified and uh, new people on the team within, within the last six months. Now, what's interesting is that this major organization has just implemented a new ERP system. And it's creating real issues for these new hires to come in and have success. And so they're giving feedback and that is creating some serious dynamic contention with, within this team because it's like, Hey, you know, we just, we just got to go hit the numbers. And it's like, well, you know, we can't because here's the, here's the issue. These problems are not just, you know, it's more than the, than just saying it, you know, five, step these are these are real problems that they're facing and so the steps that you're giving are are so useful and so helpful because it's what i what i'm saying is is it's not just a simple game that we're talking about these games and this approach can help make a huge impact in, in people's lives and so it's a serious issue because these two uh th these two employees want to love what they do they want to know that they matter. They want to make a difference in, in their lives and, and, and be excited about going to work. But if they're just dreading every day because they can't even fight the system because this huge organization won't let them have a say, yeah. now you're going to lose great people. So it's the opposite of recruiting great people. Yeah, which I'm, I'm sorry to just editorialize, but I'd love your, no, your perspective. But it's true. Like you said, we're having a conversation and that's where so many groups, they forget about the fact of, you know, it affects the bottom line. I mean, this is where you and I will have a great connection, Spencer, because I've been a trainer before. And we understand there's no analytic, you know, in the system to explain the value of training. And but we do recognize this, if we don't train people properly within probably six months to a year or longer, you're going to see that impact, you know, come into place because short term, you won't see it. Yeah. But long term, oh, wait, we have all this turnover now. And depending on what level you hire the people at, it's cost four times more just to hire them in versus trying to train them the proper way. So you've got that. But then also we don't understand the, the ripples that happen where people are like, that's a terrible company to work for. So now they're spreading that to their network, which don't go work for that person. I mean, have you, um, Spencer, have you read the book, The Dream Manager? No, I haven't. The yeah, Dream, Dream Manager. Manager. The Dream Manager is a great book, but it talks about valuing your employees. It's, it's a mythical company, but it's, a, it's an amazing book because it talks about really valuing the employee and how once you value the employee, it will affect the bottom line of the organization. And it's something as simple as all of our employees are showing up late. So the standard policy is, okay, we're going to fire everybody versus the dream manager because you had HR and you had the dream manager. So the dream manager is more focused on the employee versus the human resources part. Yeah, but, so, out, so, oh, but, but then you've got the one employee, you know, one team member that says, I love managing people. And then the senior manager says, yeah, but you need to hit the numbers. 
So, yeah. so how do you respond to that? And then one more question, and, and Christian, sure. I'll, I'll seed my. In your experience, anecdotally, what are you seeing as managers within organizations? Are they struggling with this, or are you seeing more dream managers? Okay. So let's go back to your first question. So you said anecdotally, and this is going to come from a personal spot. The places I've worked in culturally where I was able to give feedback and input, I succeeded in those groups had pretty high profits. So if they came and asked for the feedback and I could give it, and not just me, you know, the rest of the people who work with me, I saw those organizations thrive. Yep. The organizations who didn't want to listen to people like me, in many cases, I've seen cases where CEOs have ended up in jail. I've seen where, quote, I got fired and other people got fired and their profits declined because they're so focused on just themselves or, as you said, just hitting this bottom line number, looking at things in a spreadsheet. That's why I said I like the Dream Manager book because the Dream Manager just goes, okay, here's the problem with organizations. It goes, if you go look at, you know, pretty much the, the P&L, you know, the pre, you know, profit and loss sheet, it goes, employees are listed as a liability. So, I mean, that, that answers pretty much your question. Most parts is if we're seeing our employees and staff as a liability, just as a bottom line number, and that's all you care about, then watch what happens to your organization. The, the late Harvard psychologist, David McClellan, uh, based on his research, said that up to one third of financial results come from the workplace culture. That's all about relationships. Right. Okay, I, and, I, Christian, I'm sorry. I just I had to yeah. say it. Yeah. And, and it's true. And I mean, that's the world. Like I said, I, I've been a trainer in groups like, well, first group is like, once we start having budget issues, we cut the training mm-hmm. and then we watch it just nosedive off even more. And I mean, I think I shared this with you before, Spencer, I worked for a company and they, they told me, Frank, you're training too much. I'm like, what do you mean you're training too much? And they go, well, we only do only two trainings per year. I was doing a monthly training. And yeah, like, but well, you're, you're taking people away from the work. So the time they're spending in the training, they're not they're not working. Yeah. That's but the, the thing was, yeah. yeah. And that's what their mindset was. But I was actually doing the training on our own time and the employees actually loved it. I mean, yes. Yes. Do I pay them to come there? Yes. But ultimately this is in retail. We were like 50% above goal, not 50% above sales, like but whatever the goal was that they set. And it goes like, here's the deal. I was like, if we do not hit our number back to you, asked me about the number. I was like, if we don't hit our number. I was like, I will stop training we never went below the number like corporate kept coming in trying to figure out what was going on you know what were we smoking what were we on but the thing was when we showed the value to the employees they actually took more value in the in the, you know the process and the organization they helped with the training piece they used to pull me and my managers out of the store because they thought that you know we were feeding information to the employees and they would go ask to you know quiz the employees and they like they knew the whole process i mean and this all came from I had a mentor, we're still friends 30 years later, but early on he gave everybody, hey, everybody who's here, my goal is I wanna make all of you, you know, store managers. And we're like, what is he talking about? We're cashiers, what's he talking about? He goes, I wanna be, you know, valued. He's like, or I wanna be known for promoting people versus just hitting the bottom line number. With that group that we had that one time, it was like maybe five of us, four of us got our own stores and the only person who didn't get a store was, she chose, she got married, she wanted to be, a, you know, a mother. She goes, hey, that's not for me right now, but we all got our own places because he put that value in. And guess what? We had the sales numbers, we had the retention and we did good, but corporate always kept coming. It's like bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. And, you know, eventually, you know, he had to leave, but early on case was he promoted all these people. We got stores. And the funny thing was because he poured so much training into us, even for me, when I first came in, 
they're like, okay, who is this new guy within three months? Like he's one of the top salespeople. Cause once again, we created this culture of valuing people properly training the people. And then the results showed, I mean, and I had to show something like just understanding the employees. I had one guy, you'll love the story. He was a wedding singer. I'm working at a toy store. Okay. So if anybody remembers KB toys, so a toy store and it's very much, I would get the numbers from the corporate office. You got to do this, do this, do this, do that. We're in a toy store. This place should be fun. So something as simple as like, Hey, everybody just go find a toy. You've got the most of right now, run around the store, play with it. By the end of the day, it was sold out and I go, how did you sell that many? So my one guy was a wedding singer. We had karaoke machines and I understood the other manager understood that, okay, he sings on the weekend. So we always would let him get off about three or four o'clock on Saturday. But the one day we got karaoke machines, like, okay, well, we got to sell it. What's the best way to sell it? Let's demonstrate it. Like, and the employees would come and like, hey, can we demonstrate this? And I'm like, okay, hey, guess what? You're the demonstration guy today. What do you want to do? He's like, I want the karaoke machine. Like, go for it. He went out and he was practicing for his wedding songs that night. And he sold like 30 karaoke machines because people saw him actually. So listening to the employees and valuing their feedback, empowering them. I mean, it, it works. I mean, that's just one example. And I, I know, like I said, we've got these bottom line areas today, but you know, everybody's looking at the figures, but we have to find out where are some of the other areas we can cut. What are some of the, uh, you know, ask the employees, the employees know where, you know, things are being, you know, wasted as far as overspent, you know, how we can make things better. But we always think, okay, if you've got a title, that's what we got to go to first. And we really forget about, as I said, the frontline people. And I've, through personal observation, with certain groups, the ones who are willing to listen to the frontline workers, I mean, they have the buy-in and because they have that buy-in, they feel like they are part of leader or they've got ownership of that organization. They will help make the changes. You know, they're not going to overuse, you know, X, they're not going to throw Y away. They're going to, you know, want to be a part of a process of which even having an internal like leadership team where it's like, Hey, guess what? We're going to give this group here ownership of some of the transformation. I mean, we don't have enough time here today because like now you got me going to my deep spot. That's not for the time, but that's for the, the, the feedback because that's yeah. th these are my hot buttons and I'm passionate about too. Now, I'm glad you got fired up, Christian. How about you? Uh, absolutely. And we're up against it. I've got one last question. Spencer, you might sure. have one last question as well. My, my final question is this. Have you noticed anything different uh, or any differences generationally you know because we hear from a lot of people that people in this demographic respond a certain way and then people in this other demographic they respond a different way so so what are what are you seeing now working with you know you got boomers to gen xers to millennials to gen z folks uh what are you seeing is resonating with these different uh with these different demographics well well, well number one is people need to understand what the different um, generations are. We got people calling Gen Zers millennials and they're not. People don't recognize that the first group of millennials are in their low forties now. Another piece of it, they recognize all four of those groups are in the workplace now just because of the way the economy is. So you've got people who have normally, the boomers been retiring, need to keep some money in so they're working. Then you have, you know, the Gen Z and the Gen X, they're working. And then you've got the millennials. So you've got all four groups going. But the, the big piece I can say that's standard through all of them is we have, we're losing the art of either what you call it communication or community. We're just going in with our heads down and just staying to ourselves versus really trying to understand the people who are around us that we can understand from groups because you've got the older group who are still trying to be like their parents. Let me tell you back in the day and the other groups like, I don't want to listen to you anymore. You've also got the point of I've watched with the millennials and the Gen Z's. They're going, okay, I've watched my parents 
and my grandparents, who are the people, let's go get the golden watch and we're going to retire. We're going to be here for 30 years. I watched them recently lose their work, not because of poor performance, but just because somebody else in the financial piece and not paying attention did their job wrong and they lost their job. So why should I be loyal? So especially for the groups who are about 30 and under, which is going to be those back in millennials and that Gen Z, they're coming in going, hey, you know what? I'm going to look out for what's best for me. They're going to be asking more questions. They're not necessarily trying to be loyal at this point because they're going, hey, I saw what loyalty did to the people ahead of me. So I'm going to go look out to see what's best for me. And if that means I need to leave this job right now and go to something else that's better, they pretty much have this free agent mentality since we're talking about games and sports. They're going, hey, I'm just going to look for what's what's best. So understanding that any of these groups now who are going to be millennials and above, especially who are in a leadership or hiring capacity, need to really make time to understand, hey, guess what? These people may not be here long, but what can we do to set them up for success? We need to ask them, what are they looking to do? They're not really looking at a five or 10 year plan. That's the one of the worst questions. Where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? The world's changing too fast for that right now. So we need to ask, what are you looking for now? Well, I'd like to get experience on building websites. I don't want to get financial experience. Okay, then give that to them. Is there a risk that they're going to leave? Yes, but there's also a risk you're going to fire them. So why are we worried about that? But if we really take care of these people, then what we're going to do is we're going to quote, build this employee pipeline. If you can take care of these people well, and they're able to move on to something bigger, they're going to share the friends. Hey, this is the place that started for me. They poured into me. And essentially almost all employers, in my opinion, are going to become incubators. Some people are going to stay around, but ultimately we're going to be kind of like how, you know, Silicon Valley was, you go to this place here to get the better job. So back to me working at a college, I had student employees. They're on a grant from the government. I can only keep them at max two years. But many times employers would call me and like, okay, if they're such a great employee, why didn't you hire them back? I'm like, well, because they're a student worker and they have to be a student here to work. But at the same point, many of the students who came to work for our department recognize they end up getting full-time jobs within the college and university. So they're willing to put in because the case my dean, the culture he put in was, let's find out about them. Let's prepare them for that success. And people understood we trained our student workers so well that if you hire them in, you're going to have somebody for longevity or they're going to be a really great worker because we poured in. So, I mean, that's where I see the world going right now is everybody's so worried. It's like, well, what if they leave? What if they leave? Well, they're coming and going like, are you going to fire me? Are you going to fire me? Because I mean, what? We had everybody in Silicon Valley last week, what? Microsoft, 12,000 people, Google, 15,000 people. People are worried about that. So they're going, well, hey, what can I do to either take care of my lifestyle, take care of my family, and they're going to go with what's best for them. I love that idea of businesses as incubators. And I think that's a great concept. Okay, quick question. You, you mentioned some, maybe some online games that you would shout out to. Are there some resources that leaders could use? For example, a Kahoot, that's been around a long time, but maybe some resources that you use to uh, just to, 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 to start the the wheels turning for an organization. Okay. I can't think of anything online right now, but what I will do this, Spencer, I'm going to do a shout out for a buddy of ours. So for everybody listening to this and you need to probably bring him on is you need to talk to, his name is Rob Foray. We know so Rob. Rob. We yeah, know so Rob. Rob he, yeah. all, all the technology, that, that's my go-to guy when it comes to technology games. He's always yeah. showing stuff and then showing it to my kids. So that's the place to go there. Go, go and see Rob as far as the technology games. But um, for me, what happens is I'm old school, so I've got more of those, you know, if you call them camp games or games that we've done through training um, at my stores and different groups, is I can tell people, hey, email me. I will send you a PDF that's got different activities and games. But I mean, 
I'm more like the hands-on learner. I mean, nothing's better than a box of Lego. I mean, you, you're you so mean, cool. I, I, you're yeah. speaking my language, man. It's it's all tactile. You yeah, know, tactile. I, I, some of the online games are great because I think people like that, especially the, the younger generation. But getting people doing and and with their hands, it's, there's something magical that happens. Well, I know right. we're out of time, Christian. So let's uh, darn. This is too much fun. We could keep yeah. going. You mentioned. Uh, you mentioned. Well, before I get into this, I just have to say thank you so much, Frank, for coming yeah. here and cooking that up a masterful episode uh, for us today. I learned so much. I mean, I've I've written down my five R's. I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> but you mentioned, uh, you know, have people email you. What's the best way for people to reach out to you and ask you more for more information about how you could help them or uh, to get some resources to help them to establish a, a more uh, impactful, positive company culture? Yeah. So as I said, positive cultures produce productive people. That's what we want. And the best way to do it is if you want some fresh ideas, some fresh insights, just email me at fresh, F-R-E-S-H, at frankkitchen.com. So if you do that, I'll be able to reach back to you to say, hey, Frank, I'd love some of the notes, some games, some activities. And even like Spencer said, I love a box of Legos. There's so many things you can learn from it. But once again, when you talk about tactile, everybody's in this touchscreen virtual world. The tactile things are actually more impactful now because it's something new and different. It's like my kids. My kids are used to watching 3D movies, but when they see a 2D movie, especially cartoons, they're enthralled by it because it's something different. Yes. <laughs> I have to say, you know, uh, two of our our daughters-in-law, uh, what they wanted for Christmas were Polaroid cameras, right? Mm -hmm. It's like uh, they're going back to a lot of old school stuff. Tinker we toys. Had when we were children. Uh, you know, it's all analog. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Spencer, you're doing some fantastic work with organizations around the world and what's the best way for them, for people if, who are interested in what you do to help teams, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Thank you, Christian. Just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, I, I get a lot of people now are, are doing that and that's, I, I love it. It's so easy. So Spencer Horn, find me on LinkedIn, Christian, same thing. How can we find you so that, uh, you know what, Frank, this show would not be what it is without Christian. He is so valuable. His insights are so amazing and he makes such an impact. So how can people He's in the get middle. He, he hold it together? He does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's very, very kind of you both. Uh, LinkedIn's great. Just uh, look up Christian Napier at LinkedIn on LinkedIn and, and you'll find me there. Okay, Frank, Spencer, it's been a fantastic, uh, almost one hour. Uh, it just flew by. So thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon.